Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Um, also, if you'll go to my slides here this morning, um, last week I just felt, uh, I was overwhelmed about Tuesday, and God just made it very clear we need to shift gears and, uh, and launch into a new series. Um, I don't need to tell you that we have a convergence of, of a lot going on in um, the world, but in our nation specifically right now, obviously an election coming up. Um, obviously, COVID still, you know, not under control um, and many other things. And then with the restrictions, all of the fallout that is taking place and multiplying um, that we're going to have to pick the pieces up from a lot of that here ongoing. So there's a lot going on. So we're starting a new this morning. We're starting a new series, Revival Church and Politics. And uh, the convergence of all these, these things. And we're just going to dive in and see what the Lord has for us. This, these are serious times. These are important times um, for us. And, uh, and we just we need to, uh, to really uh, uh, take some time to see what the Word of God has to say. And, and the Word of God, right, to revive the soul, to grow when the churches gather together. And that should overflow to the community and the nation um, as a whole, and that is the general flow of things. When it reverses, we'll talk about, there's a big problem, right? And we have to first start in, in the church, among God's people, to understand, right, these things. And there's, there's so much confusion out there. I'm going to throw out some big things this morning. Gang, I hope you maybe write them down, but I, I, I'm gonna, some we're going to talk about this morning, but some I just need us as a church to pray about. And uh, we're going to uh, uh, hopefully have some extra time here at the end in this series here for these weeks. Uh, the next few, especially leading up to the election, we need to pray. And we need to first, we need to pray as we end this time that God, and this is what the church should have done back in March in, in totality together, is to pray to the one who can control COVID, which is God. And uh, to ask him to push this thing back. That's what the church does, right? By faith, we trust in something that transcends science, which is a supernatural God, the one who gave us science, right? And, um, and that's the role of the church. That should be where our primary focus is, is to press in and trust God for that. Secondly, we just need to pray peace over our land, right? And it starts here in the church in the sense of how we talk to each other and in, in our community, how we engage each other. We need peace, right? Especially leading up here to as things arise, the temperatures rising in towards this, this election. We need consideration of how we engage each other and respect each other when we have radically different opinions about, about politics. What's important in the church is we're united about what God's word says. That's where we, pro we start. We encourage each other with that. That should overflow into our policies, into how we think, how we vote. And uh, so we're just going to, we're going to dive into all three of these things. So as we start, let me just say this, revival is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. The reviving of the soul is necessary for any lasting change. It's not optional. Without revival, there is no hope for the world. Unless the church is revived, unless revival hits the church in an awakening to God's people's hearts and a growth and fire of that within the church, there is no hope for the world. There's no hope for this nation. Uh, policies, politics on that end, um, as we know, just looking at the history of the world, it will not bring about lasting change. 
And um, revival is necessary. And we're going to talk about what revival is, but, uh, but hold on to this. Just the simplicity of it, the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to revive, bring life, new life to a person's soul or for the Holy Spirit again to come upon a person who thought they were a believer or were a believer and we need reviving, right? The life of God again to bring us alive and renew us back to that call is absolutely necessary and throughout right, the history of the church, we see God sovereignly moving at different times and um, uh, we can't, and we'll talk about this more, but we, we can't twist God's arm in this thing. Um, but we can, if we're not praying for it, seeking it, being humble, moving into repentance, asking God's forgiveness over our land and our country that have forsaken the clear commands of God. And as a church who have watered down our responsibility to be that voice of goodness into the world, if we don't start there, there is no reviving. Because we can quench the move of God, right? And we'll get into the book of Acts, right? And we'll see that that fire, it, it revived people's hearts and it spread out, right, through the rest of, uh, of the world. And we're in desperate times and in desperate need of, of this. Um, I'm going to throw out some things that I see already. I have a blog out there. I've given you some of the things I, I think God is doing through these times. Um, we'll touch base a little bit here this morning on that. But I want to launch this, this series um, with Ezekiel 37. So if you have your, your um, Bibles, if you want to follow along, Ezekiel 37 is the most famous, well-known passage in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, that we have, the Valley of Dry Bones prophecy. And we're going to be here throughout this series. We're going to keep coming back to this vision um, for obvious reasons, but there's so much to mine from this text. I'm just going to scratch the surface, and as I said, we'll, we'll go. I'll supplement some detailed information throughout the week through the Daily Faith Builder. But this morning, I just want to talk about, we've got to be rattled to be awakened, folks. We've got to be rattled to be awakened. Revival doesn't come just by awesome, just kind of as a natural thing. The whole soul, my, my awakening to God doesn't come without an internal rattling, without a, a growing sense of hunger. Something's wrong. I need God. And, and we look around in the world and we need God to move. It, it, as we're going to see here, there's a rattling. There is a, a shaking of, of culture and, and the, the whole move towards the end times of the birth pains right, that, uh, that, uh, that we see in Scripture. Things will increase. Earthquakes, famines, right? You name it down the line. Um, these things and disease and plague. Right, will increase. And the reason for that is what? All of these things. It's pretty easy. We don't need to get into, well, did God do this or what, what is this? But one thing we know, sure, the scripture is COVID is one of many, many things that the primary purpose is are people's minds and hearts going to wake up? Are we going to turn Godward? Are we going to turn to continue to hold on to think that we Mankind can control COVID or a hurricane or climate change or racist issues that we can solve these without God. And this is where the repentance comes in without it, without a, a full brokenness to say, God, we need you to move. We need you to revive our, our soul and bring peace and love between brothers and sisters in this nation. Without that shift, uh, 
it, all that happens is a growing sense of pride, a growing sense of fear, a growing sense of holding on to things, a growing sense of imposing restriction to control things by fear, right? Rather than a sense of calling out to God, we need you to move, God. We need you to bring unity. We need you to do something great, right, in this day and age. So, little history. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll take more time later in the series, and I'll do this during the week, because um, there's a lot of background here with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. Israel had been taken now for 10 years captive because of what? Because of rejecting God. And folks, again, just, it's not just Israel. God judges any nation. It's happened throughout the history of the world, right? If it continues to reject God and reject his ways and to go towards the ways of man and this turn, at sooner or later, there's going to be, just like the fall of Rome, you go down any nation, Right When the family disintegrates from God's clear vision and, and, dis, and, and description and, and everything else, is, it is just a matter of time. Right, And we'll get into Romans 1. We're not going to mess around in this series. Romans 1 is very clear on these issues. God's wrath is not something that's coming. God's wrath is already here. It's already here with the consequences of what's happening in the family structure and society in our country. It should be a loud wake-up call. Right, to our country. You cannot sit around and, and allow right, a voting legislation of allowing freedom to kill a child up to the very end without God getting involved. You can't do that. You can't reject God's design of a man and a woman and reject his sanctity over marriage. You can't do that in a nation without God getting involved. It's never happened in the history of the world because God is, is, is a holy God. And he has good things for us. And when God's people reject those things, and when a nation rejects those things continually, without repentance, without a, a looking God word for help, and actually embraces right, those things, is um, tough times come. Tough times come. And so Ezekiel is given the hard task of, of being a prophet to a people that were not listening. Being a prophet to a people, repeatedly telling them, here is what God has said, here's what you're doing, and they continue to do and to be absorbed into the culture and other gods and other systems without heeding God's, without repenting and turning back to, to God, and, and just this terrible ministry of nobody listening and things getting worse. But God continuing to give Ezekiel these wonderful promises, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do, right? And, um, and he goes through some pretty harsh things. He makes it real clear, as he'd already done, right, in uh, multiple times throughout history of, of bringing judgment, pretty harsh judgment, right? And, um, but he never, he always has hope. There's always hope if God has. He's going to be the one, right, to bring um, life and, and blessing. And, and so uh, it's along these lines and different words coming to Ezekiel to give the people that we come to this one, the Valley of Dry Bones. So listen, listen to this. And I'm only going to focus in on two questions for us, two things this morning to talk about and hold on to out of this. And like I said, we'll come back to it. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. They'd been there dead for a while. No life. 
And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord, you know. Because as he goes in a desperate situation, he had been prophesying to people that there was no revival, there was no turning back to God, and they'd been taken captive, they'd been under the hand of judgment, and they still weren't turning back to God. And, um, and they had been dead. In other words, the, the picture here for, for him was a desperate, desperate situation um, of no life, no, no uh, soul life for God. And, and Ezekiel stepping back going, Lord, I, I don't know. In other words, he was even doubtful. I, I don't know. But, but he had enough of trust in God to say, Lord, you know. Right? You, you know. Only you know, right? And um, he goes on. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I'll cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put my breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I was com- as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, there's a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were the sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off prophesy and say to them thus says the Lord God behold I will open your graves and raise you from the graves O my people I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord and then I open and when I open your graves and raise you from your graves O my people and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Praise the Lord. So here's a a big theological thing that um, we need to understand. This specific prophecy is to Israel. Back in in when they were in captivity and the promise was God's going to bring them out of Israel, reestablish them in their home. So there's two tracks here. Is this prophecy is given specifically to Israel. And some of this is not yet restored. We know all in the scripture, God is going to do something still with Israel in the land. But the larger promises and covenant of God also were fulfilled in Jesus, who opened the graves, who brought his Holy Spirit. And the promises of the new covenant flow out to all people and the whole entire church. And so we today are on the backside of the fulfillment of this, of what Jesus did when God promised, I will breathe my spirit into them. This is what happened in Pentecost. God historically did this. Jesus has come. He's fulfilled this. He has opened the graves. He's defeated the power of death, the power of sin, so we might have fellowship with God. And he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon our souls and to save us that we might have this vibrant relationship with God. And there should be no excuse for the church of God to not live and revive because it's done it's not like the people of Israel sitting back and wondering oh my gosh look we were hope we, we have no hope look what's God God are you going to do something in in the midst of judgment is that we have the history we're this side of the cross we're this side of God's fulfillment of this prophecy of pouring out his Holy Spirit of Pentecost of bringing Jesus and conquering the the power of death 
pouring out the spirit of revival in us, which we see vividly right in the book of Acts. The church has no excuse for not living continuously in revival. What it means is that we've fallen back like the people of Israel. We have no hope. And the question that I want us to, at least the first one, can these bones live? What does it mean to live? What does it mean to live? Because see, folks, until we get this right, and really answer that, get honest with our own soul, honest in these three areas we're looking at, honest with our own soul is, is it alive? Is, is there reviving happening among God's people today and move that to the church? And is the church alive, living in revival? And then the third move is, is it flowing out as a positive blessing into our culture, right, in, in our society? That, those are, that's the move that we need to ask. But we have to start with ourselves is, man, where, what's the state of my soul? Is it more like the Valley of Dry Bones? I mean, what's really going on in my soul? Is the life of God alive inside my soul? And here's the deal. In this prophecy, and we're going to look in this in detail, there's three movements, right, that happen here. One is the picture of the valley and the dry bones that are there in the valley and they're just dead, right, and have been dead. That's the picture of an unrevived soul. That's the picture of, of people who whose soul is not saved, who don't have security in God and don't know who Jesus is and how much God loves them and wants to revive them and give them eternal security and eternal life, right? The next move is those that the form has changed, right? He prophesies over and the bones, the rattling happens and because there's a sense of, of hunger, there's a sense of need, there's a sense of, of life from death that needs to happen and, and boom, there's a form that comes, there's a religion that comes, there's a form that comes, but there's no real life. There's a third move that needs to take place and that third move is a prophesying over, let the winds of revival, the Holy Spirit come and fill up the form. And so within the church and in the world, we have, there's people in all three of those levels and until we in our own heart can get honest and until the church community is revived to where we are in tune more than anything with each other, hey, where are we at? Are you, are, are you saved? Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Have you committed your life to him? Are you a believer? Is he your Lord and Savior? To answer beyond a shadow of doubt that yes, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus. But then the next move is maybe you've been in church for years or decades and, and, and all of us from here, we have to look at this, where am I at? Is my soul revived? Is, is the spirit of God alive inside my soul or, or am I kind of just form? In other words, I just go to church, I just have the form, I have the belief, I say I believe it, but if I'm really honest with my soul, there isn't the spirit alive inside my soul. And... Um, these are the questions that we need to dive in and, and really wrestle with, right? Is, man, is my soul alive? What's, what's really happening on the inside? And folks, this is, this is where our conversation has to go with, with people until we're honest um, with really what's happening right here inside, then we, we, we aren't going to have a move of God. I'm not going to have a need to, to go after God and ask him to revive me and renew me. And, and folks, this is the course of the Christian life is always living, preparing and living for revival. 
In other words, because we all have dry times. We all get to that place where we're like crushed and, and, and where there isn't a reality to our faith and, and we haven't seen God's power move in our life or through our prayers or something like that and we need a renewal. Should we always should be in this constant, as I said before, the church, we have no excuse for not living in revival, personally, corporately as a church. And if we see we're moving dry, because we all do, that's why we encourage one another. That's why we push one another on. That's why we're here to lift up one another. But if I can't be honest with my soul, then I can't be honest with God. And I can't be honest with anybody else about really where I'm at and, and what I need God, right, to radically do. So um, this, this idea of, can these bones live? Um, we're going to drill into this in this series. And, and um, you know, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to live um, life? And this is part of just being honest. And, and to take an honest look at what Jesus promised, the fruit of the Spirit, right? The, the hope, the joy, the, the, the living streams of living water, right, flowing out of us. And I've got to get honest, if what I read in the text of what Jesus wants for me, if I'm having a hard time laying hold of it, I've got to be honest with that. And that means I have to start being willing to put myself out there and say, all right, Lord, come. I need this. And what do I need to do? Where do I need to put myself to get on that track, right? And so this next... um, movement here just is is something that just get a little practical i want to drill in on some things here and again i'm just throwing out some themes for us that we're going to get into more detail um in the weeks ahead on this but folks um here's the deal how does this flow over into politics revival in my soul growth in the church of encouraging each other and the church reviving flowing out right to society and politics and everything is is let's let's do this Let's, let's, and we've said before is that, you know, religion and politics, that's all, that's mainly what we should be talking about. Remember a lot of people say, oh, we can do everything, but just don't talk about religion and politics. Um, no, those are the things we really need to talk about most. It's just, how do we do that? And uh, folks, just maybe take this and think about this, is let's transition the discussion from religion and politics to relationship and policy. Okay? So if we get engaged, especially in these times where, where you know, things are heightened, you know, uh, is that we need to have the spirit of peace upon us and spirit of love upon us and, and the spirit of concern and, and desire for where people are at that we might engage them and, and truly want to hear what forms how they believe and why they believe what they believe. And, and so something radically changes rather than talking about religion. Remember, Christianity is relationship. It's this radical good news that Jesus has sent, right, to crush all the religious requirements of pleasing God and to bring salvation by grace alone, a free gift to anyone, right? Amazing. And so to shift the conversation to make sure that when we, when we have a chance to engage this, that we talk about our Lord. We talk about Jesus. We talk about our relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about some form, some religious or church denominational form or whatever it is. We're talking about a person, our Lord and Savior, the one who's entered into history to redeem right, this country. That's what we're focused on. And then let's flow from there when we move into policy, how we're voting and all these kind of things is, man, let's get away from the politics. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of of what I believe forms and should form what I believe about policy, how I vote. 
and this is where we need to shift the conversation. Why am I voting the way I am? And to hear from other people, why, why do you vote for big government when somebody else votes for a small government? Why? What has formed that idea? This is progress because it helps each of us refine. Wow, is that, is that conviction formed out of and forged out of my faith in, in my prayer with God? Or is that something imposed on my, me by social media or by my culture I grew up in or whatever it is? This is where we have to help each other, right? Does that make sense, guys? It's to shift in my conversation. We're to be agents of light and peace in any discussion we in, get into. And folks, you know, right, it doesn't take long for a conversation to get kind of, you know, heightened up. Man, it's that where we step back and we shift it, bring it around to relationship, the goodness of God that we know and the promises he has for others, right? And how our relationship with him and our trust and security in him, just asking people, where's your trust? Where's your security? Do you know God? Where do you think God is in all this? Asking great questions, and then moving those questions into tell me what has formed why you believe, why you're voting, why you believe, and focus on policy. Let's get away from all this emotion, voting with emotion. That is so dangerous to a nation. We need to vote from conviction, thoughtfulness, right, in the process. And so, um, with that said, let me just go through our three categories again with this idea. We start with the idea of revival, the idea of reviving. And folks, let's just keep coming back to this and let's go on. Where's our soul? Where are we at? What, what, what do we need to ask God to do? Where do we need to move into repentance and humility? Am, am I holding on to hope in a, in a certain candidate more than I'm hoping in the promises of God? What, what has me? Where's the, where's the foundation of my, my hope, really? Right? And then let's just shift that into church is what is church and so i'm going to throw some things out here I need you to really pray into these things we're going to come back to them um two things that i think are the primary things that god is doing through this whole covid thing in america in the church two things first he is revealing that the american church doesn't know what church is He's revealing, and it's been very evident, he is showing that the gospel that has been preached in America has been a highly individualized, Americanized gospel. That somehow you can watch online and you can be a believer and continue to walk with God and not be engaged with the family of God. Is that somehow we can be saved, regenerated, vivified, right? Uh, made alive, revived, right? And, and that that's good for me. Jesus forgave my sins and, and, and what God can do for me. He loves me. And, and without understanding the, the power of when you're saved, you are put into a new family. You're part of a new family. And you move in health and growth according to that family, not individually alone. And, and I, I don't... We'll get back to this, but uh, this is so evident. Just with, I'll pick out one right now, to the idea, and thank you for all those of you tuning in online. But what I want to say to you online is, that's not church. Online church is an oxymoron. I've been criticized for that. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to prove it as we get into this series through the scripture, the church is called ecclesia in the Greek. And it's the gathering of God's people as the family of God. Face to face, physically gathered, it is the only context for a healthy 
growth in the spiritual life that flows out to the preaching and the ministry of the word of God. We have many churches in America today, and I have no problem saying it, who are misleading the body further down this isolation road that says that you can tune in online and still be the church. And that in times like this, we can sit back and we can isolate and not gather. Again, the history of the church, I could take you to Iran, I could take you to China again, I could take you to the church in Rome. They gathered in the face of whatever was happening. In the face of extreme consequences in their own life and decision, they gathered because they understood that you cannot be a follower of Jesus if you're not intimately connected to the church, to the body, to the family of God. That is the only way Right, for growth and revival and power and strengthening and boldness. And the presence of God, he promised, is, is there where the church gathers in a special, powerful, supernatural way right, to pour out right, into the surrounding places and, and cities. So um, these two things God is doing in re- just peeling back are terrible, are unbiblical understanding of what church is of what Jesus does when he saves us he gives us an eternal family this is all the way this is the whole story of the Bible from the beginning God's heart his love is to have a family this is why I send Jesus his son to what to redeem people of all nations tongues tribes and nations into a family and families gather otherwise they're not a family families gather otherwise they're not a family But we have bought this individualized idea in America and it has and is showing how weak we are in our response to these things. So let me throw out a couple other things. Um, I want you to think and pray on this statement I'm about to say. Back in March, when all the restrictions were given to our nation, What would have happened if the American church gathered to worship God and to cry out in unity across this land for God to save our land? What would have happened? Okay, don't answer. Don't answer right now. I want you through this series to hold on to that question. But what did the church in America do? Don't answer it either. And I want you to think about this. What would the early church, read the book of Acts. What what would the book of Acts, what would the church do there? What would they do? Now, let me speak to politics and our nation and our leaders in our nation unequivocally, what it needs to be said. And, um, hey, if they lock me up, they lock me up. Here's the deal. As truth as I can say across the board, what should have happened and needs to happen right now is the leaders of this country need to say, church, you're essential because we are in a nation that, what? In God we trust. And we deal with things like hurricanes and COVID that we cannot control. We need you to gather and beseech God's favor over this land that he might bless this land again. They should be saying, church, please, pray and you see throughout history leaders right even people uh, leader you know who don't even know God or anything they're saying man go after God please beseech God we can't handle this thing there was a, a little bit of humility to realize they were dealing with things and radical things right that they couldn't control the leadership should be saying you're essential 
And we need you to beseech God in power together that his favor might continue to rest upon this land. But what had happened? From the beginning, church was not seen as essential. We had abortion clinics, we had pot shops, and we had alcohol that was open, essential. And folks, I could get off here this morning on just how ungodly we are. Do not think that God is sitting by and going to continue to bring a hand of blessing on our society unless we get raw and honest about where we are as a society and start as God's people coming together and beseeching him for his favor. Does that make sense? So just think about those things. Just let it just dream in the sense of, wow, what would the early church have done in the midst of COVID? Would they have run and hide and isolated? And folks, this all, I want to just I want to bring it back. And this is for, I'm speaking to myself here this morning. I want to bring it back to me. Where's my trust? Do I have a greater commitment to the supernatural ability of God to do something or science? Huh, Science. And technology and medicine. Now here, I want to say something else. I, I'm just blown away by how we have politicized this idea of who's on science's side. Right? So let me just put a, a bunch of, uh, throw something down here for us to think about. Okay? I believe in science. We, the church, believes in science more than anybody else. I believe in science far more than an atheist or a humanist. Let me tell you why. Because I know where the science comes from. I know it comes from a God. The only way you can explain, because the atheist or the humanist or the brilliant person, Aspen, they don't have a clue where science comes from. They don't have a clue how we do this ordered universe and we come up with this wonderful technology to bless people. They don't have a clue. They just have some, oh, maybe it's just somehow evolved. I don't know. But we know it comes from an ordered, loving God who's given us amazing creativity made in the image of God to bless, come together and do things, science, medicine, to bless the world. So the church believes in science more than anybody else and believes in its benefit and its glory and we don't work against it, we work with it. But here's the deal. We have a greater commitment and a greater hope. We believe in the God who transcends science. He's a supernatural God and he regularly overrides science with a miracle. He overrides science with a miracle. And that's beginning with saving a soul. And where's the church today? Is our hope more with the, the science over here or is it more with the God of science who's a supernatural God? Science tells you we need a vaccine. Lord, please, yes, please may the scientists bring it. Be awesome. But I'm telling you, if your hope's in a vaccine, we're in big trouble. It needs to be in a supernatural God where God's people should be praying, Lord, you are the God of all knowledge. You can bring healing to the land, right? That should be our first commitment to what? To Jehovah Rapha, our great healer. That has not been the steps of the church in America. That's not been our primary commitment, right, in this, in this land. And, and let me just, while I'm on it, let me just throw this out. Science, uh, I'm telling you, if somebody tries to say the church is going against Science, we need to call bull on this, okay? It is our culture that doesn't have a clue. They're so hip hypocritical when it comes to science, right? It's our culture, right? In, in, in the face of clear science that that little baby has a heartbeat at how early? How many weeks? 
exactly. And who is putting on the books to end that life. What's the science? The science is it's a life. It has a heartbeat. But let's go a little further. Our culture is a culture who wants to tout science, but this is staggering, but we have embraced this idea that you can choose your gender. Last I thought, if you take biology, folks, here's the bottom line. This might sound harsh, but folks, we got to call this out. This is how absolutely, this is what it means to reject the truth of God. The science is clear. When you're born, you either have a biology that tells you this many chromosomes, you're a male, or this many chromosomes, you're a female. And what have we done as a nation? In the face of clear science. Folks, I mean, we've lost it. Talk about hypocritical. What do I need to say about that? Because it's Romans 1. I hate to have to say this this morning. We're going to get more into this. It's Romans 1. God says, because we suppress the truth, he turns us over to debased mind. We're in that, folks. To, to go against science, my own makeup, and to think I can change it. And to think that I can go and be operated on and change my identity, my biology. You can't do it. That's the state we're in, folks. And I could go on, right, with, with more science, right, that we don't seem as a nation to... How is it that we... We're talking about a fog right over our eyes. Folks, last thing on politics about revival is we're living in a culture, we're living in a nation that is growing in hatred towards the things of God. We're living in a culture that is growing in its hatred of the things of God. And again, I've mentioned a few, but we could go on and on. We're growing in a nation that's rejecting the founding moral principles that founded this nation, but that are foundational to the word of God. And we are moving in a direction where culture more is this movement of, of just really the hatred towards the things of God. And where we have to be, folks, is in a place not of combative, we need to stand up and speak truth, but the question is that until our heart is revived, I'm not going to have the love of God to love someone. When I stand up for what God says, who, who, who reviles me or hates me because of that, can I still love them? Can I still love them powerfully and value their perspective and love them and love them and keep pursuing them? Right? For, and just and pleading with God that God would just open up their heart and free them from that bondage that is only going to reap worse things in their hearts? Can I love them that way? And folks, until revival comes to the church, you know, well, we're just going to be in this, in this hatred and this, this, this ugly communication rather than just moved by a deep love and concern, right, for the lostness, the dry bones of our culture the dry bones of somebody's soul that thinks they can live without God? Are we moved from concern to a deep anguish for the state of people's souls? To long to see them, to get, engage them with the love of God, the grace of God, receive it. He's, he's there for everyone. That's revival. 
but it has to start with my heart. It has to grow and be nurtured, that love, that powerful love that in the face of of a culture and people who are just rejecting, hating the things of God, that we can still powerfully love them. Does that make sense, Kate? That's revival, the church, and the overflow into the polis, the city, into politics, right, with the love of God. And so... There's so much more I could say. I hope you just take some of those things. Don't quickly jump to an answer. Just ask God. Because see, the bottom line here is, folks, listen, what we do is not based, what a church does, the decisions we make, first and foremost, it cannot be based on any law of man. Do you know that? Our first decision has to be made upon, God, what do you want me to do? And that trumps everything. That trumps everything as we see in the book of Acts. That has to be, and I have to be, I can't be manipulated by rebellion or, or this or rejection. I have to be convicted, God, I, 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 I'm gonna obey you over man. And, and, and on this specific issue, that has to be the foundation of the church. There has to be a conviction first and foremost, by faith, this is what I'm gonna do. And after that, we can talk about constitutional rights. That's a whole secondary issue of discussion. Does that make sense, okay? And we'll come back to this, but what, it, what, what brought the bones alive? What brought the dead bones alive? Prophesy the word of the Lord. It's the word of God preached and given with the love of God out that brings about life and stirs the bones in life to come alive with the life of God. It makes way for the Spirit of God to come in and to bring complete renewal and revival. And so, um, so much more I could say. Dirk, come on up. I, I just want us to take some time just in closing. Just out a few minutes, and, and this passage is up here. If you just leave that up, Chris, that'd be great. Um, and let's let that form our cry out to God. But let's, as a church, let's start, you know, just pressing into God. Let's start asking him to move. Let's start asking him to heal. let's, Let's humbly come before him and realize that, man, if our hope has been in a vaccine, we are in sin. Do you realize that? Let's pray for it. That'd be awesome. But our hope is in God. Our hope is in that he would move and that he would bless this land and that he would strengthen his church. And so those three areas revive us, Lord, personally. Lord, please heal your church. Bring, revi- bring renewal, Lord, unity to your church in America, God. Let's get this right to please you first and foremost. And thirdly, Lord, may we overflow with your love, your grace to a world that is in dry bones, that needs the word of God, the love of God desperately, Lord. And Father, I pray you'll start right here. Right here this morning, among our souls, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do some rattling, Lord. Because, Father, without that rattling, there is no awakening. Lord, come by the power of your Spirit, Lord. Hear the prayers of your people this morning as we cry out to you, God. We need you to move in our land, God. We need you to move in our church, God. We need you, God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for, Lord, focusing so many things, Lord. Not being honest with my own soul. Not trusting you and your word and your promises first, Lord, but, but looking at other things. 
We love you, God. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, come. Revive us, Lord. As the Lord leads, just come to the mic and share your heart. Just pray. Let's just lift up our nation. Let's lift up this, this time we're in. Let's lift up our lead. We're commanded to pray for, even if we don't like our leaders, we need to pray for them. All of them. Both sides, all sides. We're commanded to do that. Lord, we need you. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.